Hey folks, if you're dealing with sleep issues or stress, anxiety, dealing with pain management even, cutting down on inflammation, pretty much all the things I'm dealing with, I really encourage you to check out cocanacare.com. They make ultra-concentrated, terpene-rich CBD oil derived from all-natural, high-quality industrial hemp. It's legal in all 50 states. It's USDA certified 100% organic. It doesn't contain any heavy metals, no pesticides, nothing like that, and it doesn't contain THC. So if you've heard a lot about CBD but not know you know, a brand to trust to try it, I really encourage you to check them out. They're being gracious enough to support us during this time, so I'd love it if you went and supported them. You can find out more at cocanacare.com, and you can also find a link in the show notes. I would say this. It's the most physical thing I've ever done, period. And that means that that includes NFL, pushing sleds, two-a-days, tough mutters, marathons, all that kind of stuff. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. This is a great episode uh, that Kurt did, and it was uh, about three years ago that we released this, and it, it's just awesome. You know, I know a lot of us haven't seen sports in a while, haven't really either talked about it or just we're missing that, and so it's kind of cool to hear from someone who was an NFL receiver who changed paths to do the Seven Summits, and he's the first ever NFL player to finish the Seven Summits, in which he, he has done. And uh, he completed it since then. I'd love to do an updated episode, but uh, for now, this is going to have to do. But there's so much cool stuff in here. I hope you enjoy. Have a great week. You'll be hearing from us on Monday. Hi, friends. Thank you again so much for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. And we have a really fun one for you today. I have a man that is currently climbing the Seven Summits. He's a philanthropist. He is a public speaker. And he has started three multi-million dollar companies. And on top of all of that, he's a former NFL player, wide receiver. Mark Pattison, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I love that intro. Um, it's just, you know, I take a step back and, and uh, I hear that and I go, wow, I'd love to hear about that guy because it doesn't seem like it's me, but it is. <laughs> well, good for you, man. It sounds like you've had a lot of fun making the most out of life. So we're, we're excited to hear about that today. Yeah, no, I'm excited to, uh, to share it. Yeah, very, very cool. Well, let's start with a backstory. I love to hear, you know, where'd you grow up, first of all? Uh, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and I like to uh, refer to Seattle as the center of the universe. And you wouldn't have known that, you know, growing up, you know, uh, you know, many years ago. But um, it's amazing to think that Amazon and Starbucks and Microsoft and Boeing and and all these other companies have been started here in this little city called Seattle, and very entrepreneurial. And um, you know, because of the growth of the amount of um, jobs that they've created you know we've got this you know thriving economy and beautiful city and mountains and streams and water and lakes and everything else surrounding us yeah it's seattle's an awesome place and some yeah. people complain about the weather but you know if you don't mind the weather in the winter the weather in the summer can be delightful really really nice well i, I you know literally you can go anywhere in the country and you can pretty much have an argument, you know, in California, which is actually where I live right now, Southern California, it's about, all about the earthquakes, right? right? And then you go to the the Midwest and it's about the cold, right? And and you go to the East Coast, it might be the humidity and, you know, so every place has its spots, but at least it's, it's more on the mild side versus the extreme of hot and cold, you know, that other places can be. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yep. As you were just listing the companies that have been started around Seattle and, and that sort of thing, I got this image of, of standing in Seattle and looking up a Mount Rainier. And that's one impressive peak, probably because you see so many vertical feet of it, right? And people in Seattle are always looking up, and there it is. 
Well, you know, I looked at that same uh, view for a long time. I grew up near the University of Washington, right, you know, kind of in the central part of Seattle. And, um, you know, I always looked at it, and my dad had climbed it, and it's I'm looking at it, and one day I said, I got to go climb it, right, and because it's there. And I can't not look at the biggest icon that we have um, in the city um, outside of the Space Needle and say, I've never climbed that mountain. It made no sense to me. So um, since that happened back in 1998, I've probably been up on, on Rainier five more times, six more times. I've climbed up to Count Mir, which is at 10,000 feet. Just a beautiful national park, you know, here in the state of Washington for, for anybody to go to. Yeah, and what's beautiful about Rainier as well is in the lower 48, it's one of the few truly expedition-style climbs where you can cut your teeth on something that can prepare you for what you're doing with the seven summits. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of these guys in the, in the climbing community and because we have the, uh, the Olympics and the Cascades, which are two, you know, major uh, mountain ranges that run through our state um, and kind of anchored by some of these bigger volcanic um, mountains like Mount Rainier, um, you know, you just have a lot of people from around the country coming to climb Mount Rainier to train for the bigger boys around the world, like Mount Everest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I have not been up Rainier, so I'm jealous. You know, I've interviewed several people that have, and I climbed the 14ers around Colorado, and, you know, we've been having a, a ton of fun with that. But Rainier is its own animal, and I've not done that yet, so... You should do it. It's, yeah, no, it's great. It's great. They've got, I think, three different climbing mountaineer guiding services that can take you up. And it's usually a, a three-day type type deal. And you go from – you enter the parking lot at 5,000. Uh, you go up to Count Mir, which is at 10,000. As I said, you spend the night. You get up, and then you um, you make your way you know, to the top, which is 14.5. And you're weaving through you know, a lot of crevasse fields and a lot of open rock. And there's been a lot of people that have not – had great success up there because of the weather or rocks falling or bad things happening. But, you know, um, they try to make it as safe as possible. And like all mountains, uh, these things happen. So um, if you get the opportunity or anybody else, you should definitely make that a point during the summer to come and, and climb that mountain. Oh, yeah, it's on the list for sure. Just because yep. it, it, I don't live in Seattle, but I've looked up at it many times and it's really there for me. So I'd love to stand on top of that one. No doubt about yep. it. Yep. We welcome you anytime. Right on. Well, let's transition a little bit. So you went to uh, the University of Washington where you played football for them, right? Yeah, I did. I, uh, you know, really, you look back on life and, and life is, you know, of course, is always twenty twenty when you look back and, and you say, was that the right decision or the wrong decision? And there's so many decisions in our life that we make from jobs and being married or meeting certain types of people that have an impact one way or the other. And I was, I uh, went to a, a big school, Roosevelt High School um, in, in the city. And, um, and uh, you know, only a couple miles away from the University of Washington, grew up going to all, all the Husky football games. And, and football is just one of those things that came pretty naturally for me. I didn't, I, I, I worked at it only in the sense that, you know, gr growing up with my, my guy buddies that, you know, hung out with, you know, we'd just go out every single night, throw the ball, uh, pretend we were, you know, USC football players or, you know, whatever that would be. And, um, you know, for me, it just kind of kept going and going and going. And so I put myself in this position um, where, I had a lot of uh, universities across the country um, knocking on my door and offering scholarships and, and whatnot. And so I took recruiting trips here and there, and I ended up you know, staying here locally and um, the best decision I ever made. And you know, fast forward the clock, um, our, um, my senior year, we ended up in the Orange Bowl. We beat uh, Oklahoma, and we were just inducted into the University of Washington Hall of Fame in our um, – our college coach, Don James, who was a disciple under the old uh, Bear Bryant uh, famous coach, um, uh, uh, ended the uh, College Hall of Fame as well. So, you know, it's just, 
you just never know what it's going to be like when you first go in some of the places like Cal at the time, you know, went through three different coaches and whatnot and would have been a complete disaster for me. So, oh, yeah. you know, it worked out in the right ways and it, it developed me in, in the way I needed to, to develop. You know, I didn't play for a couple of years cause I wasn't good enough and big enough and strong enough and fast enough. And, you know, ultimately it, it all kind of played out the way it should. And, um, you know, it just turned out to be one of the best choices in my life. Yeah, that's great. Well, and ultimately that led to you playing for the the Raiders and the Rams and the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, yeah. So now, you know, I, I again, the worst thing that could have happened to me, well, going back a step, you know, so, um, I, you know, back in the day, it, it's not like today where there's all these different club sports and kids are being, becoming much more specialized and they're lifting weights and they're training and they're doing all these, these different things. You know, it's just – you know, again, going out and grabbing six other guys and saying, hey, do you want to play tackle football with no pads, right? And throwing the ball around in, in, the, in the playground. And um, and so when I got to the University of Washington, I could not bench my – I weighed uh, 181 pounds. I was 6'2". I'm a, was a wide receiver. I could not bench my weight. And so, you know, it took me probably three years before, you know, I really got to the point where – you know, I was strong enough, big enough, physical enough that I could take on the other um, guys in the pack. In those days, at the back t- ten, uh, we did add the um, Colorado and uh, uh, Utah in the back. Now it's pack twelve. But you know, those guys, you know, who were were out there and they're competing, were bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they're everything. And so, part of my growth, and my maturity, was just really trying to catch up and do it the right way. And and so. I did that, and, and again, ultimately through you know not playing, but spending a lot of time at scout team and getting beat up, but learning the ropes. Um, I ultimately you know became a starter, and that put me uh, in a position to be uh, drafted. And I was drafted by the Raiders um, back in the day. They were down in LA, so I was drafted by the LA Raiders. And I went down there, and I was there for, I guess, two or three years. And in my third year, uh, I was traded to New Orleans, which is always a shocker because, you know, it's just like you get a phone call from your dad, you know, from your, your employer, you know, in this case, Al Davis one day. And he goes, hey, guess what? <laughs> You're out of here. And like, what are you talking about? What about my apartment, my friends, my car, my cat? You know, yeah, I've got a like, life. You know, <laughs> right? I got a life. Like, and, and, and it really didn't matter. Right. So. Um, it's just business and it's just weird, you know, you really never think about that when you open up the newspaper and you see, you know, transactions and say, Hey, look who got traded. And they don't understand that there's like a real person behind that curtain and there's families and there's kids and there's, you know, other things that, that matter. So anyways, that's what happened, but it was amazing. Mm, that's gotta be quite the ride. You know, I want to, to talk quite a lot about the seven summits experience, but I yeah. still need to hear a little bit more about the NFL. I know that our listeners are going to be saying, you got to ask them, what is it really like? What's it really like? Is the lifestyle as great and as glamorous as everyone makes it out to be? Or, or, or what's the truth behind it? Yeah, well, you know, it can just continues to build and grow, um, you know, over the years. But, you know, I, you know, look, so I'm, uh, there's 32 teams and on draft day, I went to the combines, I was fortunate to be invited to go there. And, and it's kind of a, a big evaluation, whether or not, you know, what, what round you're going to go, if you're going to be drafted, what teams think what of you and whatnot, and all your draft position is all by, ultimately by how much money you're going to make per round and whatnot. And then there's 32 different um, teams. You know, you can end up, and the team represents a city, so you can end up in Buffalo, or you can end up in Green Bay, or you can end up in Los Angeles. <laughs> and so I'm this kid from from um, Seattle, and it seemed like uh, it uh, it uh, rained a lot more back in the day. And you know, I got the call from Tom Flores, who they just come off a Super Bowl. Like, hey, Mark, this is Tom Flores of the the LA Raiders, and we've just selected you in the seventh round. And I'm like, you got to be kidding! And they go, no. And so, you know, I'm jumping up and down for joy. And you know, within a few days, I'm on a plane and down there and in training camp. And the thing that was great, you know, I I I, I entered a time when it was kind of still the old school um, guys and the new school kind of coming in. So, you know, my teammates who had 
growing up idolizing, watching on TV, you know, I'm playing with Marcus Allen and Jim Plunkett's the quarterback and Cliff Branch, you know, played in three Super Bowls is the other wide receiver and Howie Long, you know, and, and Matt Millen and, you know, Lyle Azedo and Lester Hayes. I mean, Ray Guy. I mean, it just it just went on and on and on who I think, you know, half that team ended up being becoming, you know, Hall of Famers. So it was amazing, you know, and because you're in that limelight, you do get the perks of being a professional athlete. And that means going to restaurants or bars or whatnot and getting in free and getting free drinks and <laughs> and other perks like that. And it's it's you know, it's it's great to to be there. And, you know, on that team and in the NFL, you know, it was pretty good in college, but in the NFL, I was just a guy. I mean, you know, I wasn't a superstar, but, you know, there's only 47 or 52 guys that make a team, and that's not easy to do, you know, the top 1% of the 1%. And, you know, even though I was probably on the lower end of that list, I was there, and I got to, you know, they were my friends, and I went out, and I got to play, and it was it was just incredible, you know. And then even, you know, being um, traded down to, to, to New Orleans, um, I ended up, becoming uh really good friends with a guy named uh morton anderson who's a kicker and he just got inducted this year into the hall of fame so he invited me to his hall of fame deal that's gonna be happening in ohio um this year so you know just to play with those guys and i knew the guy was special at the time and just to to have that kind of you know athletic talent and appreciation and then all the perks that go along with it and lifestyle and you know, where else can you go and you work for six months and then you get six months off and you make, you know, pretty good dough and, and, you know, it just can put you in a position to, you know, excel in life. And, and so they don't pay the guys, you know, what they do today, of course, back then, but, you know, it still was a great start. And I'm so fortunate and grateful that I had that experience. Yeah. It sounds really, really cool. You know, there are so many young men across America who want to play in the NFL. You know, it's their dream, and they're going for it, and they're trying hard, and they're doing everything they can. But, you know, like you said, it's the 1% of the 1%. Very few people actually get to that level. Any advice for anybody? What does it really take to make it happen? You know, I think it takes a lot of things. I mean, it takes talent, first of all. It, it, it takes being in the right place at the right time. I think it takes the ability of not getting hurt. You know, a lot of times just – People have great promise and they get cut short because their careers get cut short because of a knee or something. Um, uh, just, you know, being in the right system and whatnot. But I think that, that, that that's just stuff and some of those things that you can control and some of those things you can't. But, you know, one of the things, and we can talk about this a little bit later in, in, the, in the podcast mm-hmm. here, but, you know, that uh, my coach, Don James, taught us about John Wooden's pyramid of success. And so in his pyramid, and there's like 23 different blocks, you know, it was really taking care of all the things that you need to do to become a champion. And so the amount of time that I spent in a, in a weight room, the amount of time that I spent running stairs, the amount of time, and this isn't like coaching time, this is my time, the time that, you know, I, I put myself to the very end where, you know, you put yourself where, you know, you're about to throw up, hot days, all those types of things, you know, somebody wants to go out at 6 p.m. or something for drinks and, and you blow it off because you have to go and, and put yourself in a position that you can go and you can earn this. I mean, there's nobody who wanted to play in the NFL, not just want, there's a will and a want, right? Everybody wants to make a million dollars. You know, the question is, are you willing to do what it takes to get there? Right. Right. And I and I've just seen this time and again and again and again. And I just saw it again when I was on Denali recently with somebody who wanted to be there, but wasn't didn't do what it took to get there and to put the whole team in in jeopardy. And, you know, from from um, relating back to um, to football, um, there's many kids who have success come way too fast, way too soon for them. And it happened for me. and the best thing that ever happened to me was the coach, Don James, at the University of Washington said, you're not going to play until you get yourself right. And so, you know, there was a total choice. 
And then, you know, for me, once I kind of got that uh, and I got it kicked in, then it just never stopped and I wanted more and more. So, you know, definitely the overachiever. But whether you have all the talent and you haven't lived up to it or you don't have that much talent, but you're the super overachiever, you have to do those things that matter, those day-to-day things that keep you on track to what your goal ultimately is going to be. Well said. Very well said. Thanks for that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's transition now to the seven summits, and I'd like to do it this way. So your career in the NFL comes to a close, and at some point you decide you're going to climb the seven summits. But there's got to be a big story in the middle there. What led you to ultimately deciding to do this? Well, you're right. So um, just kind of a a backfill of stories. Um, So, you know, I I came out of the NFL, and that's a hard thing to do. Um, You know, so we just talked about putting all your energy into one thing. And and so, and this happens to a lot of professional athletes, and it certainly happened to me. And and even though I was buying homes um, with, you know, any money that I was making from the NFL back here in Seattle, single family homes, um, I was living in California. And uh, you know, I didn't feel like that was going to be my my end all. So ultimately, it took me about a year and a half, two years to figure it out and kind of get stabilized. And then I started some different companies. And so then I entered, you know, kind of my next phase of life, which was this, 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 um, you know, got married, had kids, moved the family back to Seattle, you know, and just doing the family thing and totally happy doing uh, all that. And, um, you know, you kind of blink and time goes by and the next thing you know, you wake up and you're, you know, 50 years old and you're going, oh, wait a minute, what happened? And mm. part of what happened with that in answering your question was I was going through a very difficult time with my wife. And unfortunately today she's not my wife anymore, but um, it was just, you know, a great person, uh uh, but we just had grown apart and just couldn't figure out a way to put it back together, no matter how much we tried and counseled and, and whatnot. And so um, I, I had, had moved from um, Seattle, where I know everybody. I told you I went to, you know, the biggest high school um, uh, here in the, in, the, in, the, in the city of Seattle and then, you know, the University of Washington and we played on fantastic teams. I was played in two Rose Bowls, two Aloha Bowls, one Orange Bowl, you know, and so I know a lot of people around, around Seattle and, and at my time, at, at the time, my, my now ex-wife, but wife at the time, um, wanted to go back down to California and she was a former actress and, you know, the kids were getting a little bit older and so she wanted to act and so we moved back down there and so I moved into Santa Monica and I went from like hero to zero. You know, mm-hmm. I had, I had, no friends <laughs> every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, there was just nothing going on. And, you know, it was a very lonely existence and, and, you know, coupled with just this, this difficult time and period I was going through with, with her and, and whatnot. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I had this chocolate lab and still have my chocolate lab, Theo. And every night I'd take him out for a walk and I just kept asking myself, like, how did this happen? How did I get here? How did I get here? And then after about two years of saying the same question and I never had a dancer and I felt stuck, um, I just, I don't know what it was, but I, you know, again, grabbed the dog, eight o'clock, going to walk around the block. And I shifted my mindset and I went from how did I get here to what am I going to do about it? Mm. And at that point, it's like the whole world for me got completely, you know, shifted from, from one side of the universe to the other. And I started just like, you know what, my life needs to start going in this direction. And one of the things I need to do is go fill my bucket. And one of the things I want to do is go do something significant athletically. And I can't go play back and play football anymore. So the only thing that I can think of I can do, and I actually, because I used to climb all the time in, in the state of Washington, is go climb mountains. And so I did some research and I found that no other NFL player had ever climbed the seven summits there's one guy that's climbed maybe three or four of them, but then he's, he, he, he stopped and I want to become that guy. So I, uh, I flew down to, um, I got a plan together and, uh, you know, a seven year plan and I flew down to, 
to uh, Tanzania and I climbed um, Mount Kilimanjaro. And the thing that uh, for me that was significant on that was was that I I climbed you know I climbed the mountain and I did well and and I did well actually up until summit day and um, I just had run out of gas and out of fuel uh, going up. And the, the, the porter that was with me got down. He was like jamming protein bars in my mouth and slapping me in the face and pushing me around and like, <laughs> you know, get your ass up. And so, so I did and I, I summited. And when I was coming off the mountain, uh, the mountain is uh, something 19,341, I think. And we're now down about 18,000 kind of cresting over the, over the top, you know, starting our way down. And all of a sudden these, these tears just, absolutely started like leaping out of my, my face and, you know, bouncing off my sunglasses and falling down to the floor and I couldn't stop it. And I hadn't cried since I was about 11. And, wow. and, and it really was just a, a burst of joy and release of like, you know what, I can get through this. I can get through anything. And that really was like the, the moment of, of impact of, 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 you know, of I'm going to be okay. Things are going to go forward. And I'm going to complete this journey and, um, you know, really find that serenity and peace in the mountains. Isn't it fun how when you get out into nature and you push your limits a little bit and you connect with just something that's so real, so real and so raw, how we kind of find ourselves? At least I think that works for me. No, I think you, you nailed it. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I just, I went through this again recently. I just got back off Denali and in Alaska and, um, you know, it is so beautifully majestic as you're flying through the Alaska range and as you're weaving in this, this otter plane and, you know, you land on the glacier and whatnot. And, you know, you, you, as you said, a lot of this, you're not, you're, you're, you know, we have a rope that we're tethered together and as we're going and even on mountains like, you know, Kilimanjaro where you're not tethered and you're climbing a group, everybody's kind of on their own. It's not one big chat session. And because your phones don't work and because your computers aren't going and because you're not sitting there all day and you're moving, um, your brain just has time to solve so many different problems. Right. And so, the amount of clarity that you get and the amount of direction that I seem to find and the answers that come um, are just truly amazing. And then what happened to me on every one of these too, I mean, I've got literally books full of journals of just at night now when you're in your tent and I'm just journal writing about the day and about life and about where I want to go. And it's just, you know, in so many other times you don't get that to your point because you don't have all these different distractions. Right. Right. So I love it. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why I do it. Well, I'm going to rewind just a little bit. For listeners who are new to the show, they may not know what we mean when we say the seven summits. And even though we've done several shows about it, for you new people out there, welcome. And the seven summits means we're trying to climb to the highest point on each of the seven continents. It's not the seven highest mountains in the world. It's the seven highest mountains per continent on the world. And... So it's a, it's a major undertaking, really, really cool thing to, to take on, and it's not for the faint of heart. This is big, big stuff. Um, of course, there's Kilimanjaro, we already talked about. That's in Tanzania, in Africa. There's Elbrus, which is in Russia. We have Kosciuszko. It's the way I say it. How do you pronounce it, Mark? Kosciuszko. Kosciuszko. <laughs> I knew I didn't yeah. quite have it right. Kosciuszko, yeah. And uh, I, I like to poke fun at that one a little bit. Australia, it's not a terribly difficult summit, but what a great trip, right? Yeah, that's the fun seven. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then Aconcagua, that's yeah. South America. Uh, that's a that's a high peak. That one is, yeah. oh, what is that one? What's the height of Aconcagua? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, 22,820, so just under 23,000 feet. And, uh, you know, that really tested you on how you do at altitude. And so far for me, I've, I've got no issues at altitude. And that's a blessing, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you pretty much said most of them. And you've got Denali um, in Alaska, which is North America. And then you've got uh, Vincent uh, Matif in Antarctica. And you've got Mount Everest, which everybody knows about Mount Everest. And that's Asia. So I'll tell you one thing, though. I mean, it, it, it's so cool to be and say that you've actually 
stood atop of these 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 different mountains and and that's you know but like like people say it's so true it's so about the journey it's planning it's packing it's it's making decisions who you're going with how many how long you're going to be gone and then the cultural experience you get from Argentina to Australia to Russia you know to to Alaska even i mean these different parts of, of the country or the world that I've never been to, um, to land there and go through all that is just truly remarkable. And, you know, you just find people or people and, um, it's just fun to have that thing called, you know, hiking, climbing outdoor life, um, really connect you and unify you, um, in a way that just, you know, takes down all the barriers. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. I think there's a lot more to it, and that's what I want to kind of emphasize. Just take a little bunny trail here. When you set out to do a goal, some adventure sport, it doesn't really matter what it is. It will take you places and take you to experiences, peripheral experiences you didn't anticipate, and sometimes that's really what it's all about. That It becomes the most rewarding part of it. I mean, achieving our goals is beautiful too, right? But it's the, the journey the people you meet and, and the way we're impacted along the way, that's really the reason to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know anybody that's super successful, and I know a lot of really successful people um, in all mediums that, you know, they're, 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 the, the enjoyment has not been about the path, not about, you know, it's great to catch the touchdown with one second to go, and I've done that, it's amazing. But they had no idea, you know, we talked about the stairs and, you know, running up and down in the rain, you know, soak fields and, you know, when it's cold or it's dark at night and everybody's at home and you're, you know, it's just, it's, that is what makes those moments super sweet. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's preparation meets opportunity, Right. Sure. And and preparing, 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 and know what you need to do, and then finally when you get your shot, making mm-hmm. it happen. And it's so sweet. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, there are two 14ers in Colorado that you you can drive to the top of with a passenger vehicle, and that's that's kind of funny. But it's Pikes Peak, which everyone knows about. Yep. And uh, that's that is, is a good example. It was probably the first. 14 or I ever was on the top of, you know, you can take a train up, you can take a car up. I've done both. And it's great. You get to the top and you say, wow, I am way up here. The views are something else. Wow, the air is thin. It's cold. And you go back down. But then I climbed Pikes Peak. I hiked the 13 miles up and I got to the top and I do have altitude challenges. I, I had horrible altitude sickness. I, I just wanted to toss my cookies, pounding headache exhaustion, dehydration, all that kind of stuff. And suddenly the view meant so much more. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that until we put the effort in to win the prize, we may not value the prize enough. So that's just me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a huge believer of that. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I've got two beautiful daughters and I'm not the type of, of dad and I coach them in all the different sports and, you know, every kid gets a participation medal. I just don't buy, you know, right. So it's, it's, um, you know, you just like in work life, anything else, you need to earn things. And when things are given, it's too easy and it's too easy. People take shortcuts and it's just the wrong result comes out. I mean, you know, it seems to me that the, the teams that are the best and 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 have the best results are those that work the hardest and make the sacrifice. You know, you wouldn't want Navy SEALs going in to save you, right? If they just you know rolled out of bed, you know, once a week to go train. You know, those guys are going twenty four seven and you know just going berserk in terms of their training and and what they do and go beyond and that's what everybody should you know strive to do and um so i don't know it's just that's just us and that's our mentality but not everybody's built like that yeah yeah for sure well back to the seven summits a little bit 
Um, there are a few trivia things that are really interesting to me, and you mentioned some of it on your website even, but uh, Denali, more vertical yeah. feet than Everest. Yeah. And with the latitude that you have to deal with, the weather you have to deal with, some people say Denali, which um, is a major peak. It's a bigger peak than Everest. It's just yeah. Everest starts higher up. But some people say Denali is actually perhaps the more dangerous of them. And so you did that one just this year? I just got back last week, and I'll, I'll put that in perspective um, on a couple, th- th- a couple different levels. Okay, so number one, um, you know, Alaska is a gigantic state just to start, but the uh, Denali National Park is 6 million acres. It's <laughs> huge. Okay? Well, let me, let me put that in perspective for anybody who may understand geography of the, of the U.S., um, six million acres is the size of Massachusetts. I mean, think about that. And so when you're going in to Denali, unlike Mount Rainier and some of these other mountains where you're kind of there right at the base and you start and off you go, um, you take off in a plane and you fly through these most beautiful mountain ranges ever, huge peaks, um, winding in and out of these valleys. And it's interesting because they don't have – um, uh, navigation devices on these planes. It's all by sight. So when weather's bad, you're not flying. When weather's good, you're flying. Um, and if weather comes in while you're flying, then you gotta like improvise, which happened to us, you know, on our way Ooh, out. Yikes. Yeah. But so, you know, so the first thing you do is you land on the uh, glacier and which is really cool i've never done before so i was in the co-pilot seat i got these great videos of you know coming in hot and you know dropping this plane you know right next to all these tents and on this they call it a runway but you know it's just it's just snow back then <laughs> right right and um and you hop out and from pretty much from, from day one or from hour one, minute one, you know, you're unpacking and you're getting your sled and your backpacks ready to go. In our case, um, there were six climbers and two guides. And the thing that made this particular climb the most challenging climb I've ever done, oh, actually, I would say this, it's the most physical thing I've ever done, period. And that means mm. that that includes NFL pushing sleds, two-a-days, tough mutters, you know, marathons, all that kind of stuff. And the reason why it was for me is because we were pulling 126 pounds in snowshoes, in deep snow, um, under uh, the the sun, bouncing up the glacier, which was still freezing. And then, you know, every night it was minus 25 degrees in our tent. Wow. And so – you know, you couldn't even get out of bed or you didn't want to get out, out of, you know, your, your sleeping bag until the, the sun poked its head around the clouds or not the clouds, but the, the, the mountain. Um, and it would start shining down. And then the snow that was in our tent, it would start snowing and set our tent. So, you know, you're in there with four different layers of puffy jackets and <laughs> uh, everything else. And, and it's cold, and it just takes a toll when you're up when you're up there for three weeks. You've got gigantic crevasses in all directions. Um, I saw three different avalanches fall near us, um, pretty big ones too. Um, there was another guy that was um, we were roped up, and they had just gone by us, and they were a German group, and he fell over. He had a heart attack, oh. and that was that was at fourteen thousand feet. So. They had flown a, uh, a helicopter. The only time they fly helicopters in up there uh, is under life or limb. And so this obviously fell into that category, and they flew one up and got him. And, um, you know, I mean, it is steep. It's hard, and it and the weather can be really harsh. Um, in our case, the entire time that we were there, we didn't have that bad of weather. We had a couple big snow blizzards, you know, two feet of snow hit us. But um, there was this lenticular, ugly-looking, wicked witch-type cloud that would just hover on top of the summit of Denali. And it was blowing um, around minus 40 degrees. Well, they estimated between minus 40 and 60 degrees. And last Wednesday, um, they were projecting a biblical-type super-freeze storm that was coming that was going to – lower the temperatures from minus 40 
to minus 89. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, you know, again, we waited in the tent. We waited in the tent. We went from our 14 camp. We climbed up this very steep face, um, uh, 2,000-foot vertical, straight up, fixed lines, huge crevasses, got up to 16,000, buried some gear, which I still have up there, <laughs> and um, came down and just it just would not release. And uh, with this storm coming, we made the decision you know, that our fingers and toes and our lives were more important. And, you know, it's mother nature. So sometimes you just need to take a time out and come back on another day and, and attack it, which I'm going to do this next year. But we made a beeline back for the base camp down at 7,800. And so we did that and we, we got back. Uh, we, we got to that camp. We started, I think, about 2 o'clock and we ended up about midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. Finally, getting back to uh, where the planes were to come in, and, and then that night, later that night, about three o'clock in the morning, we were hit by another snowstorm. So all the planes were not coming. So now it's Monday. That now it's Monday with the superstorm coming on Wednesday. So we only have like a day before this thing is coming in. And we wake up now on Tuesday. Uh, I get up about five o'clock in the morning, low hanging clouds. And I'm um, like, there's no way planes are going to fly in on this. And about 8.30, they started kind of yelling and saying, you know, hey, they're coming. They flew three planes in. I got in. I got, I got on the second plane. And the other part of our group got on the third plane. And everybody else got left behind. Wow. So, yeah, we were super fortunate. And then getting out of there, we flew below the, the cloud line. So we were maybe 100 feet off the ground weaving down through the mountain passes back into Takitna, which is uh, the little town there that you launch from. And it was just crazy. I mean, it's just you can't believe how close to the ground, just like turning, banking hard left and right, like zipping in and out, <laughs> like, a, you know, you're in a sports car or something. And it was just part of the adventure. But, you know, again, the bad news is that um, did not summit, but – I think that also represents life where sometimes you're set back and you just got to like, you know, retee it up and come back on another day and, you know, go forward at another time. Well, I want to say congratulations on making the right decision and congratulations on coming back to us so you can go try another day. Well, the most important thing for me was to come back and do this podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the, uh, the high priority, but no, seriously. I mean, you, you just—it it just got to the point where, you know, I was so mentally strong and there, and felt great, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything. And it just was not going to happen. And, and then once that happens, your mindset just shifts from like, you know, I've got to do this to I can't wait to get out of here. Right. right. <laughs> and you want to, you know, you haven't showered in three weeks and the meals are awful and, you know, the the cold and, and whatnot. And, and it's just now a race of trying to get out and, and then the uncertainty of not knowing mm -hmm. if you can actually fly out. And so anyways, it all worked out the way it was supposed to work out. And it's just all part of the adventure. And um, again, it's just it, it just it, it's I, I think I've been very fortunate on these mountains so far for the most part. Um from the standpoint of having pretty good weather, but it's just this one was just a different animal and, you know, going to have to go back and try it again. Man, that's a beautiful adventure, though. Whether you summit or not, the story you just told, man, if you want adventure, that's adventure in spades. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you another thing. You know, you, we, we talked about two earlier, um, and, and I talk about this just because, you know, it's just, it, 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 it just, if you aren't, prepared and you don't know what you're getting yourself into then you need to like take a, a, a sanity check we had a guy so there's two rope teams right i said that there were six climbers and there's two guides and of the six climbers um uh five um were pretty strong very strong they're great and one guy was a guy from new jersey and he taiwanese guy and I, I don't know if he didn't read the manual. I'm not sure what the disconnect was, but he was in so far over his head. And the problem with that was that we got on this this wall that was a 2,000 foot vertical, um, 
you know, some of these pictures I could show you would blow your mind. And, you know, he just sat down and he quit. He just like quit. So, you know, and I understand sometimes when your body or maybe you're scared because of, you know, because of the, the, the pitch or something, but it wasn't about that. Um, he just quit. He's, he's just like, I can't go anywhere. So everybody else has to carry my stuff. Wow. Right. And, and we were stuck on this, trying to talk him off and lift him over this crevasse, you know, that he wouldn't just, he just wouldn't stand up. And, uh, this kept going on and on and on. And it was just very frustrating because a, it was either we take him off the mountain or he dies. It's no, there was no black and white. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you take like a marathon and you've seen this where, you know, somebody will run 25 miles, right? right. And they get, they get down to that, you know, and they fall down and they're, but they're, they're, the mind, they're mentally, you know, like their legs are gone. They can't go any further, but they're now like, like they're crawling, right? And it was just the opposite. The mind went, the body was actually okay. His mind just went. Sure. And it's just like, I'm done. And, you know, again, not only did he put himself in jeopardy, but, you know, we were on the second rope waiting for him. We're standing there for a long time, freezing, right, waiting for him to, you know, just get it together and us talk him in off this mountain. And I mean, it happened again a, a, a couple of different times. And it was just very frustrating. So it's not about that, but it's just about, you know, making sure that you pick your right teammates and, you know, that if people are going to get into these types of mountains, that they're really, you know, geared up for what's in store, and and it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Sure. Even just climbing the 14ers, I've seen a lot of people get to that point. And I've mentioned to many who want to climb, you know, I've taken them up and I say, listen, it, you got to be in decent shape, but really you're going to climb this mountain with your mind more than your body. And I think if anybody wants to get into the expedition climbs, the bigger mountains, then they need to find out what that is for them. They need to do enough uh, challenging things to find their mental limits and then learn how to get past them because that's really where the rubber meets the road on these things. Well, that's just it. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually starting my own. I've been inspired by your podcast and some other people's podcast. And, and so I'm starting my own podcast called finding your summit. Okay. And it's really metaphorical, right? And it, it's, it's exactly what you just said. Finding your summit isn't necessarily about having to go climb the seven summits. You know, it might be, you know, in business. It might be doing marathons. It might be doing 14 peaks, you know, or four, 14ers um, in Colorado, right? I mean, but you got to understand what your limits are too, right? And then there's a certain path that you take to go and achieve those things, but you just got to make sure you're, you do those in the right order, and I would never, you know, we talked about earlier um, about you, you asked the question about like, Mark, how did you get going on this path? And, you know, I was going through this tough time. But before I didn't just like, you know, spin the globe and like, oh, it just happened. I'm going down to Tanzania to climb Kilimanjaro. I cl called a professional climbing guide. I told him my plan. I laid it out. I said, OK, tell me my path. Where am I going? And he went through each one of them, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go here, then we're going to go there. And each one, you get bigger, you get a little faster, you get a little stronger. And, you know, you make your way until you're experienced enough. I mean, in my case, it's going to be seven or eight years later when I take on um, Everest. And I couldn't have done uh, this mountain, Denali. There's no way if I were to start with this mountain. I mean, way. Right. I mean, I would have been completely overwhelmed. No idea. But you know, since I've been in harnesses and rope teams and crevasse rescue and things like that, you know, in earlier mountains, you know, prepared me for what was in store for for this one. You know, and that's great advice for anyone that that wants to do anything in life, that wants to reach a major goal. But it's even better advice, I think, for someone that wants to try doing summits is find your limits, work small, and, and grow into it. And I think starting with Killy was golden. That's a beautiful idea. Would you recommend Killy for people? Yeah, you know, I, I would. I mean, you know, again, you can do the Fun 7 in Australia, and that's, you know, that's like 8,000 feet. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's just the fun experience of going down in the snowy mountains and dealing with Australian people, and they're so fun. They're To me, they're like chocolate labs. Or, you know, they're, they're always – 
they're wagging their tail and everything is great and happy and, and wonderful and, and, and whatnot. And so that was fun. Um, but yeah, you know, Kilimanjaro, it's, it's for the most part, it's non-technical, but it's high. And, um, you know, on this last one, I was down there, um, in February with, uh, Chris Long of the New England Patriots. And he started a, a foundation called, uh, waterboys.org. So we raised a bunch of money to build water wells for the people of the Maasai tribe in the Serengeti. So it was an amazing experience going down there and visiting these different villages. But, you know, we, we, um, there were six NFL players, uh, Jim Moore, head coach, UCLA football team, my best friend. And there were four, uh, uh, Green Berets um, that were on this on this trip, and what was it? One, two, three of them um, had. Two of them were amputees, and one was blind. Mm. And um, there's a, a there's a another general, not general, uh, sergeant um, that had flown over from Afghanistan, who's you know active as Green Beret, and he was going to be the one blind guy's. Um, his guide dog essentially leading him up the mountain. And, um, you would think that a guy like this, super strong, super fit, just, you know, big stud, probably six, four. Um, and he got pulmonary edema and, you know, he was jamming Dex, which is a steroid, um, which is like, it's the last thing you do when there's nothing more you can possibly do at high altitude is jam this needle into your heart and just have it pump and, and bring you back and you know he was doing it at lower elevations like two camps before we even got to high camp and you just throw it in at night he was kind of running high you know his heart rate and whatnot shouldn't have been there and we had to drag him off you know at about seventeen thousand feet down down the mountain um you know because we had uh um our amputees uh they just went in, in one case a gal was there with above both the leg, and she did phenomenal. But you know, it just took her a long time to get there, which slowed everybody. And so, all these NFL guys ended up, you know, getting exposed for a long time at the high altitude. And um, you know, just bad things happen. One guy went blind. Dallas Cowboy guy went blind, and uh, another guy got couple guys got really disoriented we had to put another two two of the guys on oxygen you know it just kind of became chaos up there so even though that it can seem like hey it's non-technical um if you don't understand or dealt with altitude um even to your point you said you had some issues in the past you know it can be a major problem oh yeah yeah no doubt about it none of these are, are trivial except for maybe <laughs> the one in australia and I, I joke about that one because I, I sleep at night at a higher elevation than that peak. But um, it still sounds like a wonderful trip, like I said. But I guess the point is, we don't need to make light of this. This is the real deal. When you try doing the seven summits, these, this is the real deal. And uh, I want to hear more about your philanthropy. We talked about earlier about, you know, accomplishment. And we talked earlier about... Um, you know, I've been very fortunate to do some of these different things, but like, like all things, you're taught by mentors. And in my, my former head coach, um, Don James, um, was taught by John Wooden and all about the pyramid of success. And so anyways, the long and short of it is I, I had created, you know, my own kind of version of that to get me through a lot of different things called summits. And summit being kind of the seed, the idea, then you have to unleash that idea, then you move that idea, then you measure it, you improve it, you traverse, as things happen, like, you know, what happened on Denali for me. And then at the end, um, when you succeed, you summit, to me, that's really about paying it forward, right? And I've been so blessed in so many different ways to, you know, be in this position of trying to become the first NFL guy to climb the seven summits. Mm -hmm. And exposure from that and being invited along with, you know, Chris Long and these other NFL guys. And it's because of this journey I'm on, you know, climbing mountains and whatnot. Never thought that would ever happen. But because it did, you know, I do know a lot of different people. And I was able to um, get together and become part of his Waterboy team. And um, we were all tasked to uh, raise $15,000 per player and I pulled Jim Mora in as a partner of mine just because we have a lot of overlap in, in our friend base 
and we raised forty-seven thousand dollars. You know, it was really cool. It takes forty forty-five thousand dollars to to build a well, and um, and so this next year, uh, I believe we're going to go back and and uh, we're going to dedicate that well. I literally have a plaque made, put on top of the well in the Serengeti for the Maasai people who don't have. They have to walk two miles to get their water. If you can imagine that. And most of the time, it's, it's girls, women who have to go do that, and bad things happen along the way, and it's dirty and everything else. And now they can just go turn on a faucet and to sustain a community like that. Um, you know, it's just it's water is life for them, right. and so it's it's a really amazing. So, you know, Jim and I both feel extremely proud that we crushed our goal. Um, we're able to help these different people. And so back to the dedication, um, my dad unfortunately passed away about five years ago. And so uh, we're going to dedicate the well to my dad and we're going to dedicate the well to a player named Nick Pasquale, who was uh, tragically killed um, uh, about four years ago, UCLA player, uh, walk on, um, great family and uh, whatnot. So anyways, we just want to keep their memories alive and well, and we're going to do that. And um you know, it's just, it just, you know, it's cool to raise the money, but it's even better to have those people just reach out and celebrate us the way they did and give us handmade gifts and, you know, throw little ceremonies and just, you know, it's so authentic on what they're doing. So uh, we're going to continue with that. And, um, and we're, I know Chris, he, uh, they've, they've, I think they've funded like 23 different wells now. Terry Bradshaw just funded his own well. And we're part of that group, and we're going to continue to raise the money and, you know, build hopefully more um, for Chris and for the people down there and, and make it happen. Man, that's awesome. So cool. Um, in my mostly uninformed perspective, clean water, education, medical care, um, you know, those, those three things can totally change the lives of people that are, are actually suffering a lot. And I think clean water is one of the biggest ones, and being able to bring clean water to the Maasai, good for you. Congratulations for doing that again. Um, I love it, and, and I hope that some of our listeners can be inspired by that example and say, you know what, I could do that. I could, I could bring water to a village. It'd be so cool. You know, anybody can do this stuff. When I this is my second time I've climbed Kilimanjaro, as we talked about. You know, my my first climb. You know, started with Kelly, and you know, at the time I was just like, and this is when I was kicking everything off, and I was, I, you know, I was, was just at the beginning stages of all this different stuff, and and so I I started my own fundraiser, and I found a uh, a local um, boys and girls uh, inner city um, uh, group. Um, that was looking to, you know, build their parks and services programs up. And so I just said, you know, reached out to my friends, had a little um, Kickstarter type campaign and uh, set it up, wasn't a problem. And I raised $10,000, right? And, um, you know, I mean, anybody can do this. You don't have to be super special, but you just need to be aggressive in terms of pounding the emails and Facebook and tweets and all that kind of stuff and really promoting what you're trying to do. And if it's a worthy cause, people will get behind and help. And I, you know, you know, that was $10,000 that time with Jim and I did 47 and counting, you know, so it really doesn't matter, but every penny helps, you know, so it's just all good and it makes you feel great. Oh yeah. Really, really cool stuff. My, my roommate and I actually built a, a vocational education school in, in a village in Kenya before the internet was a thing, before there was a wow. Kickstarter, any way to get it out. And we just started traveling around and telling everybody, we're, we're funding this project, jump in. And they did. And uh, I think you're right. Anybody can do it. All you have to do is say, I'm going to do it and start doing it. And uh, really rewarding life experience. So kudos to you, man. And I agree with you. It, it can be done. And what's so cool about people that do adventure sports is what you're doing gets people's attention anyway. So why not tag a fundraiser onto that and make a difference for others in the world? Well, I mean, here's the bottom line for me. You know, I never got into this. You know, I, I got into what I'm doing because I was in a really low place, right? I had no idea that 
you know, I would blink and five years later I'd, I'd, I'd wake up and I'd be in this position to be doing these types of things. And part of that is after I got off of Aconcagua, this was a year ago, I just started writing down kind of my own summit, you know, what I want to do, my seed, my unleash, you know, my, my, my idea. And part of that was I'm going to start a Facebook fan page. And, you know, a year later, it's 125,000 people strong and Instagram. Um, and people love to follow the journey. They love to be inspired in the way that, you know, you're getting out into the mountains and you're, you're going all over the world and you're sharing it and you're sharing your experiences. And it's just like, well, boy, if, if that can happen, what would happen if we now started to put a cause behind what we're trying to do because of the amount of people that we're reaching and they seem to love the journey that we're on, um, that they could actually sort of participate in some way. And so, you know, it's kind of a whole ecosystem that's been created. Um, and so kind of out of, you know, the depths of darkness has come this amazing, you know, sunlight. And um, I just, it's just now it's, it's got momentum and it's, it's just, you know, a blast to be along with. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's really cool. Yeah. You know, you, you make a difference for others. You start living life a little bit larger. You set some aggressive goals. You go for them and life changes. It changes, you know, yeah. the journey becomes something completely different. So yeah, it's kind of like life. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we could do We could go on about a lot of the stuff forever, but let's make yeah. sure that people know how to get in touch with you. So uh, the website I'm currently looking at is markpattisonnfl.com, and that's Patty Sun, not Patter Sun, right? So markpattisonnfl.com. Uh, yeah, so, yes. Yep. So P A P is in Paul, A T T I S O N, Mark M A R K, Mark Pattison, NFL, like National Football League. Dot com and um, you can reach me there and if you're interested in following my journey love to hear from you comments anything else NFL the number two seven summits spelled out seven s e v e n summits s u m m i t s NFL two seven summits Facebook Instagram Twitter you can find me love to hear from you yeah and I'm going to stress again it is the number two and the word seven. because that's confusing right i have to ask you though on your uh let's see i I believe this is your speaking opportunities page on your mark nfl.com site there's a picture of a mountain Mm -hmm. and that looks to me that that's mount kenya do you know well what i would need to do is type in my little name right now and on my speaking page go to it (laughs) <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm not quite as prepared as you are. Well, I'm, I'm way ahead of you. The reason I'm, I'm kind of laughing about it is I saw Mount Kenya from the plane, and I drew a picture of it in my journal out of the, by looking out of the airplane window, and that's the only thing I have for Mount Kenya. But this looks no. a lot like that. No, that's uh, that is a picture from Mowenzi. So Mowenzi is a peak that runs parallel uh, across from. Um, from Kilimanjaro. Okay. And so there's seven different paths that you can take to climb uh, Kili. And the one I've done now twice in a row is starting from the Kenya side and you make your way over to Mwenzi. And then it helps you um, uh, get acclimated because um, you do, you, you go up halfway up on that peak mm-hmm. on that snow field that you see. And um, you're at maybe, I don't know, 16,000 feet or something. And you come back and stay at 14. And from there, you walk across kind of a open tundra, almost looks like a moonscape, um, kind of to the base of, of Kilimanjaro. And then you start making your way up there, and you camp there as kind of your final high camp around fifteen five before you want to go for the for the for the top. So what you can't see it be to the far right would be a picture of, of Kilimanjaro. Gotcha. Very very yep. cool. Well, hey everybody out there, Mark Pattison, he does public speaking. And he is working with his philanthropy. He is um, out there making a difference on the planet, making a difference in the world. So contact Mark. Let him know that you heard about him on the Adventure Sports Podcast and see if you can't hook him up for some speaking events. That'd be cool, Mark. That would be awesome. I would love to do that. I love traveling. I love being around the world, climbing mountains and telling people about it. And uh, lots of NFL stories, too. 
Right on. Well, Mark, thank you very much for sharing your stories with us today. It's been a delight and a ton of fun to hear your perspective about the seven summits and the NFL and what it takes to to achieve our dreams in life. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us. Yeah, no, it's been a blast. Thank you. And um, just very, very appreciative and grateful. Yeah, it's our pleasure. It really is our pleasure. And to all the listeners out there, thank you for your time today. Remember, do get out there and have some fun. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.